0: Our our scripture reading this evening is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll read that entire chapter. Then our text is found in verses 8 through 12. I won't reread the text. 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning or plaiting of the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, the the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let, them es- let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water." The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him that far we read in God's holy inspired word. May God bless that reading to our hearts. The text that we consider is found in verses 8 through 12. As I mentioned, I won't read all those verses now, but I'll reread those as we go through the sermon and uh, refer to them. But simply by way of introduction, I want to read verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Beloved, the text that we consider is one that follows chapter 2, where the apostle had given a general admonition to live as strangers and pilgrims. 2 verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then it goes on to describe how we do that. Verse twelve having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So following that, the Apostle goes on to give a number of different ways in which you and I are to have our conversation, our conduct, how we are to conduct ourselves among the unbelievers of the world, called Gentiles here. An honest conversation among the Gentiles. And so the apostle goes first into our calling to submit to all those authorities that God has put over us in governments. Submit to those governing authorities. Secondly, he goes on to speak of how we ought to be subject to our employers. That would relate to the idea of unions in the Wickedness of unions that do not submit to their employers. Servants, be subject to your masters. There's another way in which we have an honest conversation among the Gentiles. Then the apostle moves on to speak of the marriage relationship. Unbelievers see our marriages, and we ought to have Good conduct and honest conversation among the Gentiles as regards our marriages. And then after going through all those different categories, some that speak only to particular persons, the apostle then comes back and addresses all of us. And that's our text speaking of the honest conversation that we are called to have in the midst of this world, the Apostle says, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And we could summarize that With the idea of brotherly love. So that's what we take as our theme walking together in brotherly love. Let's note in the first place the calling that we have to walk together that way. Secondly, the reason that we are called to walk together in brotherly love. And lastly, the source. How is it that we can walk together in brotherly love the calling is clear there's no question with the words of the Apostle each and every one of us young and old are called to walk together in brotherly love and then the text expresses a number of ways in which we are called to do that. You understand that Apostle's not giving uh, an exhaustive list so that we can simply check the boxes and say, well, I've walked together in brotherly love in this way and that way. No, he's giving a number of ways that are general duties that God gives to us. And what ought to strike us is that when the Apostle speaks of these things, he's speaking mostly of inward qualities. Mostly of inward characteristics that we are called to express. The Apostle doesn't simply say, I want you to put on a certain face so that when you go out in the world, you look a certain way. Because even the hypocrites can do that. Even hypocrites can smile at a certain time in order to get what they want. But the apostle calls us to show forth these inward qualities. God calls us actually to be this way. It's one thing to look a certain way. It's another thing to be a certain way. And so our translators rightly have uh, inserted those words in our text. Be ye. Finally, be ye of all of one mind and so on. Strive to have these characteristics and that... Calling is implied by the context, by the calling to have an honest conversation among the Gentiles. Then be this way. Well, what will that look like? What will it look like when we are this way? Well, first the apostle expresses that calling to be ye all, and that's speaking of the whole church, Be ye all of one mind. Literally, the word that's used means have the same mind. All of us ought to have the same mind. And the mind is speaking about beliefs that we have, it's speaking about attitudes, it's speaking about goals. All of that has to do with our thinking. And now you understand that's not talking about insignificant things. Sometimes we want to have everything all the same, everybody doing and thinking exactly the same way on even small insignificant things. But it's not talking about those insignificant things. It's not talking about everybody having complete agreement what color the carpet should be. Of course not. But we ought to be of the same mind as regards Jesus Christ, as regards the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the doctrines of Scripture. We all ought to be of the same mind having the same thinking regarding the truth of Scripture, the same mind that bows to all the truth of Scripture, if it says it in the Scriptures, then we are all agreed this is the Word of God. We ought to be of the same mind in that way. We ought to be of the same mind as regards the righteousness that you and I need to stand before God. It has to be the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We cannot stand before God with our own imperfect works. We ought to be of the same mind as regards those truths. We ought to be of the same thinking as regards why we do what we do. Everything that you and I do. Ought to be for the glory of God. Do my words give glory to God? Does the way that I act in my home give glory to God? Does the way that I submit to government? Does the way that I submit to my employer give glory to God? Does the way that I live in my marriage... Give glory to God. We ought to be of the same mind. That's what the apostle is talking about. Be of a mind that also seeks the good of all the saints. Not just of a a cliquish mind that seeks the good of only my little group of friends, but of a mind that wants the good of all the saints. Even those that do not have a perfect knowledge yet. And who has a perfect knowledge? There's nobody that has a perfect knowledge. Nobody has a perfect doctrine because we are in this side of glory. Be ye all of one mind. Are you striving for that? Am I striving for that to be of one mind with all the saints? That's why we have contact with other churches too. We want to be of the same mind. We want to encourage them in the truth and we ought to hear from them as well for them to encourage us. Be of the same mind. Since you all have been united to the same Christ... And you all have been baptized by the same Spirit of Christ and therefore are part of the one body of Christ. Be of the same mind. But secondly, as we have been made part of the one body of Christ, then we are also called to have compassion one of another. Literally, the idea of having compassion, looking at the original Greek, has the idea of suffering together with. Suffering with others who are suffering in the body of Christ. When you and I are compassionate, we will be sympathetic to others who suffer. And we will truly seek to help them. To suffer with somebody doesn't just mean to look at them over there and say, Oh, I see them suffering. No, to suffer with them means that I want to help them. I want to walk in their shoes and see what it is like. And I want to carry part of that load that they carry. So that if I suffer with someone, I willingly give myself to help them when I am able. We don't always have the same opportunities We need to examine ourselves on that, but do we suffer with? We are part of the same body. And now you can see in our own bodies, if I have a little pinky that is sore... Or if I have an elbow that is sore, all of my body together is going to seek to minister to that part of my body that is suffering. And when one member suffers, all the members suffer with them. And here's how we can gauge that. Sometimes we see somebody suffering would we want someone to help relieve us from that suffering? If we ourselves suffered that same way, would we want them to help us? If there was something we could do, would we do that to help someone who is experiencing suffering, even if it was inconvenient? we do we would do the same for ourselves if i had a peanut allergy for myself i would say i'm not going to expose myself to peanuts of course but now if somebody else in the body has a peanut allergy i don't say well it's my christian freedom i can eat what i want and i'm going to eat peanut butter and then that one suffers. Some of our schools have policies that because someone suffers with a peanut allergy, everybody suffers with them. And that goes on to so many different areas. We want to help those who are suffering. Are we compassionate as God is compassionate? Are we, do we have the same compassion to others who suffer? That's part of walking in brotherly love. Compassionate. Then... The apostle goes on to describe that brotherly love, not only having compassion one, one of another, but he goes on, loving as brethren. Loving as brethren. And here the idea is of a family, a normal family, a well-ordered family, in which brothers and sisters who have grown up together through Years and years are willing to expend themselves for their brothers and sisters. You see that sometimes in families where people will go beyond the call to help their own brothers and sisters. Well, that ought to be the way it is in the church. Someone needs a hand with something, we go to great lengths to help them. Because we are not just united now by blood bonds, but we are united with the blood of Jesus Christ. Love as brethren. In the fourth place, we who are part of the one body of Christ are called to be pitiful. That is, we are called to be full of pity. And here the word in the Greek has the idea of an inward feeling. And maybe we could describe that by the term butterflies that we sometimes get. But when we have pity towards another, there is a sense in our own inward parts that feels for them another translation is tender hearted we see someone in great need and we are tender hearted towards them because we truly want to help them knowing the difficulties that a brother or a sister faces we have tender feelings toward them. And then, lastly, knowing that we are part of the body, we will be courteous to one another. Some translations use the word humble. But either way, the idea of being courteous or being humble has the idea of being well disposed towards someone. Showing friendliness to others that are members of the body of Christ. Does that describe you, beloved? Does that describe me? I have to ask myself, too. All of these qualities being of one mind, having compassion, loving as brethren being pitiful and being courteous, all of those show an inward disposition of love towards the brethren. All of those are connected to that inward disposition. Well, if we have that inward disposition of love if we have the one mind, if we have compassion and so on, if we have that inward disposition, of course that's going to show itself in our actions. And so the apostle follows that those inward qualities and he follows that in our text with how this will show itself outwardly, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing when we cultivate brotherly love when we seek to walk in brotherly love how do we respond when someone does to us some evil thing We don't render evil for evil. We don't return that evil to them. When they say something to us, when they rail against us, they say, perhaps it's happened where someone condemns us and our children to hell. You're all going to hell. They rail against us but we don't return the same railing. We don't insult them in return because we have that inward disposition. In fact, brotherly love doesn't only require that we avoid returning evil for evil but it means we also will bless not rendering evil for evil verse 9 says nor railing for railing but contrarywise blessing when someone comes against us with an evil deed we bless them in return when someone Insults us, rails against us, we return to them blessing. When we bless, literally, the idea is we speak a good word. We speak a good word. And that may mean a soft answer. They rail against us with anger. And we return a soft answer to turn away that wrath. That good word then could be the word of a peacemaker. We have an example of that in the Old Testament. And there's many examples throughout scripture. But one came to mind as I wrote this sermon. The example of Gideon and the Ephraimites. Gideon had, by God's grace, won a great victory over the Midianites. He was chasing the Midianites, and the men of Ephraim got all upset that they had not been included in the battle. That's found in Judges 8, And we read this there in Judges 8, verse 1, And the men of Ephraim said, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And how did Gideon respond? He could have answered them harshly in return, But he didn't. And he said unto them, What have I done in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? Isn't Ephraim far beyond us? And then he says, God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated. Their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. We bless in return when someone curses us. We speak the word of a peacemaker. We want to do them good, even when they really don't deserve it. But neither did we deserve the good that God gave to us. Are we walking in brotherly love? Are we blessing those who curse us? And are we praying for those who treat us badly that's all part of the calling of walking in brotherly love and the text expresses a reason why we should be motivated to do that it expresses that reason in this way, after it says, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are there unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. What reason should motivate us to bless and not to curse? What reason should motivate us to seek the good of all the brethren? Knowing something. What would that be? What knowledge is it that would motivate us to love as brethren? Well, the text expresses that knowing that ye have been there unto Called, knowing that ye are there unto called. Ye are literally, it says, called unto this. Called unto what? That ye should inherit a blessing. What is that blessing that we have been called unto? It's the blessing of salvation in Jesus Christ. The previous chapter expresses that we have been called out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light of God. We have been called out of the kingdom of Satan and brought into the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ. God has taken us graciously out of spiritual death and given to us spiritual life. And now we belong. To Jesus Christ, body and soul. And we will inherit. We have the beginning of that blessing, the beginning of salvation, but we will inherit the fullness of that blessing in glory one day. We have been begotten, the apostle says earlier in this epistle. We have been begotten unto a lively hope. We have that hope of glory. What is it that motivates us to walk in brotherly love? Thankfulness. That's the idea of the apostle. Walk this way out of thankfulness. For what Christ has done for you in thankfulness for what he is doing in you right now. Walk in thankfulness for what he will do in the future. Thankfulness that wants to be holy because God himself is holy. Then the text goes on to explain that After giving that, what is it that we know that motivates us? It goes on to explain that in the following verses with a quotation from Psalm 34. Verses 10 through 12 of this chapter quote from Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And Peter is explaining his doctrine by pointing to the inspired word in the Old Testament. Verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. This is how we should want to live. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, that is, shun evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. You understand the apostle, when he speaks of this is talking about a person that desires uh, that desires good days for he that will see good days he that desires to see good days and he that desires to love life He wants it to be that way, that he loves life. Now you understand the psalmist is not talking about the unbeliever loving life. It's not talking about loving earthly life, having all kinds of earthly things that the wicked want in their selfishness. But it's talking about the one who desires to enjoy spiritual life in its fullness. When he speaks of good days, he's talking about the experience of good, spiritual good the enjoyment of spiritual good, yes, here in this life, but especially in the life to come. He has that great desire to see good days. Well, how does that motivate us to walk together in brotherly love? Well, certainly not this. The apostle is not saying, now go and do these things. And earn for yourself those good days. Go and live this way and earn for yourself that that life. Not at all. It's true that the apostle speaks in the imperative. He that will love life and see good days, let him... That's in the imperative, in the original. He must. He must refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. He must eschew evil and do good. He must seek peace and ensue it. That's the idea. But the connection is not that we have to do these things in order to obtain that life and those good days. What is the connection? We know that's not the connection because that runs counter to all of Scripture. The connection is this. If you and I love life and we want to love life, spiritual life, and we want to see good days both here and in heaven then we ought to live in accordance with that desire well think of that if we are looking forward to heaven where all the saints will get along perfectly there will be no arguing and no fighting well, then we ought to live in accordance with that desire right now. If we are looking forward to perfect peace in heaven, well, then we also ought to live in accordance with that desire by seeking peace here below, by being peacemakers in the body of Christ, walking together in love as brethren, When we are thankful for that future hope of glory. When we are thankful for the fact that God has called us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. When we are thankful for the glorious inheritance that waits for us. Then our lives will show it. That's what the apostle is saying. Live in accordance with that desire. For he that will love life and see good days, let him do all these things. Do our lives manifest that we have that hope? Does my life show that? And your life? All that can only be true, beloved, because the source of our walking in brotherly love is Jesus Christ himself. We love because he first loved us. And now think of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Excuse me. Think of Jesus Christ, who was of one mind with the Father, who had it as his goal his whole life to seek the glory of his Father, who had compassion for all of his people. Such a compassion that he was not only willing to suffer with Taking on himself human flesh, he was willing to suffer instead of us, the torments of hell. He had compassion upon us. He loved us more than a brother, a blood brother or a blood sister, ever could, giving his life for us. He was well-disposed. He was courteous, you could say, and especially humble, humbling himself unto death for the good of the body. And his precious sacrifice earned for us our salvation. Our sins... Placed to his account and his righteousness put to our account. Redemption has been accomplished through his work on the cross. So that now you and I stand before God with that perfect legal righteousness. Redemption is accomplished, but now it must also be applied. It's applied to us in time. So the Spirit of Christ comes to us in time, gives to us the beginning of spiritual life. When he has called us out of darkness, brings us into the kingdom of his Son, we have that new life. The one Spirit of Christ has baptized us into the one body and gives us one faith. So now, redemption is being applied to us. We have all been, the apostle says in chapter 1, begotten, chapter 1, verse 3, begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been begotten, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You see, beloved, the same Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Christ who accomplished our redemption, that Spirit applies our redemption to us. And He that gives us the beginning will certainly give us the fullness of our salvation. In the meantime, as the Spirit applies that redemption to us, in the meantime, he continues his work. That's the idea of the apostle in quoting that section of the psalm after uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, For the eyes, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And that means not only that he sees us, he does see us, but it's more than just seeing what's going on in our lives. But his eyes are over us, looking upon us for good. As it, as it were, using that figure, looking down upon us, seeing how he can bless us. And of course, he is the all-wise and all-powerful God who is able and willing. He looks upon us with favor. We are righteous in Jesus Christ. We have that perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to our accounts. And we have, by the grace of God, the beginning of new obedience. We who are God's people can know that favor of God. He looks upon us in favor. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. He hears our prayers. He hears those prayers that we utter seeking his grace when we are railed upon. When someone does us evil and we want to return good, or when we see in ourselves a desire to return evil for evil, we pray for grace. And his ears are open to our prayers. Not because we are good enough, not because we have kept our tongue from evil, not because we have done enough to shun evil, not because we did good and pursued it. Why are his eyes upon us? Why are his ears open to our prayers for Christ's sake? That's why he looks upon us in such favor. The face of the Lord, the apostle says, is against them that do evil. Those who do evil and live in that way, God will cut them off from remembrance. God will judge them, but not to us, God's people. To us who have been united to Christ, he will give grace to walk in brotherly love. Because he will continue the work that he started. He will continue that work. He will work in us so that, yes, more and more we walk in brotherly love. And one day he will bring us to glory. And there we will experience brotherly love without any sin. What a day that will be. May God grant that. We look forward to that day. But also live in accordance with that hope in this life. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy love to us. We would never love the brethren apart from thy love to us. We would never love as brethren apart from thy grace working in us we would never love that way unless thou hadst begotten us unto a lively hope in jesus christ give to us o lord that we would more and more walk in brotherly love so that thy name would be praised in all of our lives Forgive us where we have fallen short. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.